Hello, and welcome to the Pursuit City Church podcast. Our mission is to lead people to know the love of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will feel encouraged as well as challenged through the Word of God. If you need prayer or want to share your story, please send an email to info at PursuitCC.com. Get ready to enjoy this message. God bless. out of the book of Revelation, and we're going to talk about a topic called the ceremony. So in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 1, it says this, after these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication. And he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. Again, they said, Alleluia, her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, see that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. I pray that it illuminates our hearts and our minds. I pray that it awakens us. I pray that as we read through and as we study this morning that you reveal to us more of who we are, our identity, our true nature, and that we hear your voice clearly in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. So there's a theme here in the scripture we just read, and it's about a wedding supper. And we're going to talk in a little bit what that means, what the marriage supper of the Lamb means. It's kind of one of those things that you hear growing up. If you grew up in church, hear about the wedding supper of the Lamb. You hear about the rapture. You hear about what they do with the ashes of the red heifer. You just hear about that stuff. It's just weird. You know, one of those, one of those strange, uh, you know, nuggets that you learn about little by little growing up in church. And so we're going to dive in a little bit about what the marriage supper of the Lamb is, but... It's funny because as I was thinking about all this, I was thinking about what it means about marriage, about unity, about coming together. And I've married a lot of couples, um, been through some interesting marriage ceremonies, <laughs> uh, been through some very normal ones. Uh, I've done a marriage ceremony when I was sick, but pushed through, I think it was Jasmine and Gilbert's, I was sick. <laughs> 
And they were like, are you going to be ready for tomorrow? I said, I will be there. <laughs> uh, and we made it. We made it through. I don't know how, but we made it through. Um, but I've married a lot of couples. I believe wholeheartedly in the sanctity of marriage between one man and one woman. I believe that's the way God designed it. And to do in any other way is a disrespect to God's will, 100%. And guys, just remember this, fellas. It don't mean a thing without that ring. Okay? I don't know if y'all remember the Chicago Bulls back in the 90s. They were the best team in the NBA forever. 72 and 10, they went. They won 72 games, only lost 10 games. And they put something on their hat when they, they won that little, you know, accolade. They said it don't mean a thing without the ring. In other words, that doesn't matter. The season doesn't matter if we don't win the championship. All the good stuff doesn't matter if we don't follow through and get to the point. And that's the same thing when it comes to relationships with marriage. The, the ring represents follow through, right? It represents commitment. Ultimately, it represents you won. You got to the prize. You got your, your prize. You got the trophy, right? And women, you are a prize. You're not a possession. You're a prize. You're the focus of affection, of affirmation of true love. But if there's no ring, then things are uncertain. If there's no follow through, then there's no commitment, then that means there has not been a ceremony either. And the ceremony, people wonder because in the state of Texas, as soon as the marriage license is signed by the pastor and the two parties, you're married. That's how it is, you're married. That's, that's legal. But on the wedding day, the follow through, the ceremony, the public announcement before God and man that you're coming together, that's, that's where the ceremony takes place. That's where the, the commitment is solidified in front of others. That's why there always has to be a witness present because he can't just say you did this and did that. No, no, no. There has to be somebody that says, yes, I believe that that's exactly what happened. And so the ceremony is important because it marks a stamp, a date in time that says this is when we publicly said forever till death to us part. I do. The ceremony is important. It's not just a, a, a day to spend a bunch of money and feed a bunch of people food that's not good. Um, yeah, just saying. <laughs> Been to a lot of weddings. The ceremony is an important day because everybody remembers. I, I was there at that wedding. I was there at that moment. And it's an opportunity for someone to take that final step to follow through because how many people have gotten cold feet the night or the day of their wedding and they didn't follow through? Didn't matter if they signed the paper. The ceremony never happened. Therefore, it's over. Ceremony is such a big thing, and it's such a big thing to God. And so we just read in the book of Revelation where there is a ceremony in heaven. Jesus finally gets his prize. Jesus finally gets his bride, and she is us, the righteous saints, the ones who made it, the ones who got 
to heaven, the ones who said yes to him and served him and followed through. And now we are having this supper, this meal. See, God likes to eat. He's just like me. I'm so holy, so godly. So I'll tell you a little story. When me and Cheryl got married, which, man, we're coming on 15 years. Man, can you believe that? Coming on 15 years. We got married in 2007, October 2007. And the day before, the Friday, I think it was Friday, I wasn't feeling well. Uh, we were having the rehearsal. I had, like, snot coming out of everywhere. I was blowing my nose. It was I was like, stay away from me. And, and I had to just get through the rehearsal because I'm like, I'm not missing my wedding day. <laughs> like, there's just no way. And so I had to do whatever I, I had to do to get well enough today on, on to have the ceremony, right? And I remember the, the day that on, on the wedding day, I had planned to surprise her. Uh, she didn't know, but I was going to sing her a song that I had wrote for her. Um, and so I had some of my guys at the church, the band at the time, uh, get everyone together and say, hey, man, at this point in time, can you bring me my guitar? Can you bring me my mic? Can you do this? Whatever. And so we had this plan, and then I'm struggling to sing this song because my throat was all, you know, clogged up. I couldn't breathe. It was just one of those things where it's like, man, I was trying to have this moment so that it would be perfect for her, and I couldn't really, like, follow through the way I wanted it to. And I remember even at the time when my, my dad's the one that, uh, that married us, um, even at that time, when he said, now you may kiss the bride, I think I went, and I went over there. <laughs> like, it was, like, so fast and so short because I wasn't feeling well. It was just kind of odd for me to just, like, you know, want to kiss her like that in front of everybody, and I'm not feeling well. It just felt weird. So it's just one of those things. But we had this, uh, we had this thing we would do where I would, I would count days. I don't know if you remember that, Cheryl. I would count days, and when I say I would count days, I'm talking I would count like every single day that we were together, since the day we met, since the day we got married, I would count days. And so it's funny, as I was praying for this, I was like, I wonder how many days it's been. I'm just curious. It's going to be almost 15 years now. I said, I wonder how many days. So I looked it up, and it's been 5,657 days since our first date. And it's been 5,300 days exactly since we got married. In fact, there is a painting somewhere in our storage. <laughs> it's roasting right now, probably melting. Um, yeah. And it has the number of days up to that point on that painting that I gave it to her. It has the number of days we were together up to that point. It was just something we did. Because it was important. You know, the Bible says that God counts the number of hairs that are on your head, unless you're David Rondon. And then he counts the number of hairs you used to have on your head, or you should have. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I had to roast him, man. I had to roast him. He always gets me. I had, to, I had to get him back. I had to get him back. He counts the number of hairs on your head, <laughs> except him. God is into numbers. If you read all through scripture, God is very detailed. He's into numbers. He's into specifics. He's, is, I mean, there's just, they're all over the place. And so it's just interesting to me 
as I would look back and I'm like, man, if I'm counting days with my wife, I wonder if God's counting days with us. Can you imagine what that's like to keep track of life on earth? It's insane. I can't imagine. You know, we've talked about this before, but the Bible begins with a ceremony in the garden. When Adam and Eve are together, God unifies them. That's a wedding. That's a ceremony present before God himself. And the Bible ends with a ceremony. The Bible ends with the wedding the marriage supper of the Lamb, where we come together as Christians, as believers, and come in unity with God the Father because we made it. It's so interesting. Ceremony is such an important thing. But what is the marriage supper of the Lamb? Are you ready for this? Okay, I hope you're ready for this. Hang on. It is the banquet, the celebration that Jesus finally gets his prize. It's what he died for. It's what he sacrificed his life for, for you and for me. The bride of Christ is God's people, the ones who have made it to the end. But the end of what? Saw and heard the heavenly multitudes praising God because the wedding feast of the Lamb was about to begin. This is the concept of marriage, and it's important because it's, it's better understood in light of the wedding, time, or wedding customs of the time of Christ. You see, our wedding customs are actually very different than the wedding customs of the Jewish people. So the wedding customs of the Jewish people had three parts. You ready for this? First, a marriage contract. It was signed by the parents of the bride and the bridegroom. And the parents of the bridegroom or the bridegroom himself would pay a dowry to the bride or her parents. Actually would pay a price. Hello? Following me yet? Then this began what was called the betrothal period, which what we would call today the engagement. Okay? This period was the one Joseph and Mary were in when they found out they were having baby Jesus. This is that period before they were married, the betrothal period. The second step in the process usually happens a year later when the bridegroom, accompanied by his male friends, went to the house of the bride at midnight, creating a torchlight parade through the streets. The bride would know in advance this was going to take place and she would be ready with her maidens and they would all join the parade and end up at the bridegroom's home. The custom is the basis of the parable of the ten virgins. Y'all remember the ten virgins? With the, half of them had lampstands that were full, half of them didn't because they weren't ready. That's the second part. And then the third phase was the marriage supper itself. They had an actual marriage supper. So when you read in Revelation, the marriage supper of the Lamb, this is the same kind of supper they would have in actual traditional marriages, which might go on for days. That's my kind of supper. What John's vision and Revelation pictures is the wedding feast of the Lamb, Jesus and his bride, us, the church, in its third phase. When we read what we just read, it's actually the third phase of it all. The implication is that the first two phases have already taken place, and the first phase was completed on earth 
when we as believers placed our faith in Christ. That's your first step. You have to place your faith in Christ. You cannot do life on your own. It's impossible. It's impossible. You have to place your faith in Christ alone. The dowry paid to the bridegroom parents, which is God the Father, right? That's the parent, God the Father, would be the blood of Jesus. That's the price that was paid for you and me. The church on earth today is then betrothed to Christ. We are in the engagement. And like the wise virgins in the parable, all believers should be watching and waiting for the return of Jesus. We have to be ready. You want to know something interesting? Is that when they would come and get the bride, she knew it was going to happen. She just didn't know when. Hello? She knew they were eventually going to come, but there was no set time, no set date. She just had to be ready. Her maidens just had to be ready. They were prepared at all times. Everybody wants to determine, when is Jesus coming back? You don't know. We don't know. Even he doesn't know. Hello? That's what the scripture says. Not even the Son of Man knows the day or the hour. Did you know God can hide things from himself? We do it all the time. What did I do yesterday? I don't know. God can hide things from himself. He hides your sin from himself. You know that? The Bible says that God throws your sin in a sea of forgetfulness. There's literally a place he created and he said, I don't know where that went. It's already broken. It's okay. <laughs> They're like, your phone is broken. Yeah, it's already broken. Trust me. <laughs> Insurance, kick in, please. There is a literal place God created to store your sin so that he doesn't look at it. It's called the sea, the sea, the sea of the sin. Of, I can't even say it right. The sea of forgetfulness. That's what he throws your sin in. He hides things from himself. He hides his own return from himself. And one day he's just going to shoot out like an arrow. And we have to be ready. The second phase symbolizes the rapture of the church when Christ comes to claim his bride and take her to her father's house. The marriage supper then follows as the third final step. I don't know about you, but I want to get to that Supper. I want to get to that table. I want to eat that food. It's going to be the best God needs saw that ever. <laughs> Attending the wedding feast will be not only the church as the bride of Christ, but others as well. The others include the Old Testament saints, the ones we read about. The ones, Moses, David, you know, all these men, their spirit will be in heaven with us. As the angel told John, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. The marriage supper of the Lamb is a glorious celebration 
of all who are in Christ Jesus. So what does this mean for us? Because this is a promise. This will happen one day. This is an event in the future. What does it mean for us? It means you have to be ready. It means you have to live your life ready. It means you have to live a righteous life. We just read it, that the robes represent the righteous acts of the saints. That means you have to act righteously. You have to live righteously, not just externally, but here. It can't be an external show. It has to be an internal posture of your heart. You have to want to live a right lifestyle. You have to want to please the Lord with all that you are. And when you do that, you become ready. The question is, are you ready? Are you ready right now? I think we all would like to say yes. But there's always that little voice in the back of our head, right? Oh, you got to get ready. Got to get readier, get more readier. See, it ultimately boils down to one thing, and Jesus said it over and over and over. It's about knowing him. Not just about learning about him or studying about him. Those are important things that we all should do. But to know him and be known by him is the point of life. Let me help you. For everyone that says, what is the purpose of life? To know Jesus and be known by Jesus. Whatever you do in your occupation, as long as you know him and are known by him, you do that job. People always ask me, should I take this job? It's up to you. Do you know Jesus and are you known by him? It was so interesting when the, when the disciples went out to cast out demons and they were unsuccessful. The demons kicked them back. The demons beat them up. Physically beat them up. They came to Jesus and said, why could we not cast out these devils? And the devils told them, they said, Jesus we know and Paul we know, but who are you? You see, even the, even the demons know Jesus. They know who he is. They are very aware of who he is. These things are real. Demons are real. They're in the atmosphere. Angels are real. That's who's giving John this message. Angels are there. Demons are there. These are very real things that we cannot see in our natural state of mind, but they are everywhere. I wish one day I had the money. I would make a movie about this. Trust me, it'd be awesome. Y'all be like, wow, that's what's in Matt's head? Yeah, you don't even know. But they said to him, Paul we know, Jesus we know, who are you? And then they proceeded to beat up these disciples who were direct followers of Jesus, who are with him every single day, who know him and are known by him. But they did not know the secret, which Jesus told them, 
These only come about by prayer and fasting. In other words, there's an extra step to this. There's another level to this. And I think a lot of times we get comfortable at church with our walk, especially because we're Americans and everything is so stinking easy in our nation. I mean, it just is. Everything is designed around comfort and convenience here. And because of that, we get very comfortable with our walk with Christ to the point where we're like, do I really have to pray and fast? That's just what righteous people do. We're supposed to be righteous. We're supposed to be the righteous ones. The last thing that the angel told him, he said, get up. He said, because the testimony of Jesus is what? The spirit of prophecy. I've shared this before. I'm going to remind you about this. But the testimony of Jesus was very simple. It seems very mysterious, but it was very simple. He fulfilled prophecy about his life. His life was lived in such a way that he was fulfilling prophecy about himself every single day. There were over 300 prophecies about Jesus, and he fulfilled them all except one, his return. Over 300 prophecies about one man. It's impossible. The number are in the billions of the probability of one man fulfilling that many prophecies about himself. There's actual studies done about this. And the numbers are insane. It's mathematically improbable that he could ever do that. And he did that because he's the son of God. His testimony was that he fulfilled prophecy about his life. We should be doing the same thing. We should not settle for just, I was a sinner once and now I'm saved. That's my testimony. Good for you, buddy. What's next? Because I know God has spoken about your life. I know there's more that he's called you to do. Are you fulfilling that? Are you following through with that? Is there something about your life right now that is fulfilling a prophecy about your life? Because I guarantee you, if you go back just a little bit, you'll remember something that God or someone spoke over you that you're supposed to do that you have not done yet. The testimony of Jesus, the spirit of prophecy, that should be our testimony as well. Because why? We're supposed to be like Jesus. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What in your life right now is fulfilling a prophecy about your life? Because I guarantee you, I don't care how old you are, how young you are, there is something that God will do through you. There is an assignment for you. Your life is not over Your journey is not done. Don't camp out where you're at and get settled. God can use you exactly where you're at. God can use you no matter what's going on in your life. What are you married to? What are you married to? Some people are married to their their job. And they identify it with so much 
that it becomes who they are. Some people are married to family. That they're, you know, their family is the most important thing in the, in the world. And trust me, family is important. But if you're not married to God's identity about who you are, you might be married to the wrong thing. If you're not in unity, because that's what that word marriage means. It just means unified, right? If you're not in unity with what God says about you, then you're probably in unity with a lesser thing. Not that it's not important. Your family is important. Your spouse is important. Your job is important. Your church is important. Your city is important. All these things are important. But when you become married to something, they are supremely important over everything else. So what are you married to? Are you married to what God says about you? Are you married to what God wants to do through you? Or are you married to your idea of what your life should be like? Because someone once told you that the American dream is worth fighting for. One day the American dream will cease to exist. That's why I call it a dream. What are you fighting for, for real? Are you fighting to stay connected to what it is? And if, and if you're not that thing, then no one will recognize you or know you anymore. No, no, no. If you are married and unified and connected to what God says about you, that's all that matters. That's all that matters. Are you known? by Jesus do you know Jesus intimately do you know him are you when was the last time you had a conversation with God like a real conversation or we put that off till Sundays right that's what we do we get comfortable we get very passive with our walk to a point where, eh, well, that's what Sundays are for, right? That's when we'll try a little harder, sing a little louder, talk to God a little bit. No, 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 no. You see, to get to the marriage supper of the Lamb, you have to be one of those wise virgins that had lamp, uh, oil in their lamps. The other five were trying to get some oil from the first five. And they were like, hey, listen, we've been saving this up. This is for us. We're ready. He might be coming in a minute. And you need to go figure it out. And while they left to go find oil, the bridegroom came. And the others missed it. This world is quick to marry themselves to things that promise acceptance and fulfillment. But these things always leave you empty. They always leave you empty. The world's version of acceptance is false. Their version of fulfillment is false. Because it only satisfies our flesh nature. 
It only satisfies our external. What this world has to offer might feel good physically, but it leaves you empty and soulless internally. There is no alternative to the presence of God. There is no superior force. People worship everything. I remember in Bible college going through the religions course and astonished how many religions there are. I mean, there's a religion for everything. People worship nature. They worship sky. False idols, wooden idols, metal idols. People worship food. Everything imaginable. People can make an idol out of anything. But they only make idols out of things they can see. But Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. He's walking around talking to everybody. He says, you believe because you've seen, but blessed are those who have not seen yet still believe. That's who I want to be. I don't need to see him. I don't need to know exactly what he looks like. All I know is I've heard him and I've felt him and I know him. That's all that matters to me. Worship team, y'all come up. I got one more scripture for you. Matthew 22 directly relates to this parable. Or excuse me, this wedding. It's a parable about a wedding feast. It's in Matthew 22, verse 1. It says, and again, Jesus spoke to them in a parable saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. There was a group of people invited to this feast. They wouldn't come, and he, he sent his son out to go talk to them. Again, he sent another servant saying, Tell those who are invited, see, I prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast but they paid no attention and went off one to his farm another to his business while the rest seized his servants treated them shamefully and even killed them the king was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city and Jesus said to his servants the wedding feast is ready but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to, main, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. This is wild. People who actually had an invitation didn't come. So he sent his servants out to go gather anyone and everyone they could find. And they brought in everyone from all walks of life, good and bad. It didn't matter where they come from. It didn't matter if they were a good person, a bad person. They got in the door. 
But when the king came to look at the guests, he saw there was a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And the king said to the attendants, bind him up hand and foot, cast him to the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Oh, this is interesting. At first glance, it almost seems like this is unfair. Because this guy wasn't invited to begin with. He was just brought there because the original people didn't come. And then he gets there. Everybody's dressed right except for this one guy. And if you just look at it on the surface, you think that it's just about his clothes. No, no, it's not about his clothes. Because even though he wasn't one of the original guests, he was a, a late invite. Everyone is offered a wedding garment to enter that place. And for him not to wear it means that he refused to wear it. It means that he did not want to put on a symbol of his acceptance of this unity. This was Jesus' way, this parable of teaching about the inadequacy of self-righteousness. Follow me real quick. From the very beginning, God has been providing a covering for our sin. From day one. People think, oh, Jesus covered our sin. That is true. But there was always a foreshadowing, always an example long ago before Jesus arrived. A type of Christ, a situation that revealed who Christ was later. And the very first thing that happened... When Adam and Eve sinned, what did they do? They tried to cover themselves. They tried to sew together fig leaves. But that was the equivalent of what Isaiah says when we cover ourselves in our own righteousness. And our righteousness is like filthy rags. When we try to cover ourselves, we do a poor job. It's just fig leaves. It's just filthy rags. It's, it is not going to work. Our righteousness, the Bible says, is like filthy rags. When we insist on trying to cover ourselves up, we completely miss the mark. We're not effective. We don't do it well. Adam and Eve tried to cover their shame, but they found their fig leaves to be unusable. God took away their handmade clothes and replaced them with the skins of a sacrificed animal. And then we see, fast forward all the way to the book of Revelation. The men and women wearing white robes in heaven at this supper. And we learn, as we read, was that the whiteness of their robes had to do with their righteous acts. It was not what they did, but who they did it for. It was because they were washed in the blood of Jesus. The point is, 
When we trust in our own righteousness, we always miss it. But when we trust in the righteousness of God, we are always covered. So just as the king provided wedding garments for his guests, God provides salvation for mankind. But it's up to us to put it on. Our wedding garment is the righteousness of Christ. And unless we have it, we will miss the wedding feast. You won't be led in the door. How do you get in? Put on the righteousness of Christ. How do you make it? Put on the righteousness of Christ. You, you don't even have to be all that good. You just have to know that your dependency relies on the righteousness of Christ. You have to know who your father is. You have to know who your savior is. You have to know who you live for. You have to know who you're willing to die for. Put on the righteousness of Christ. When the religions of the world are stripped down to their basic beliefs, we either find a man working his way toward God or we find the cross of Jesus Christ. Every other religion on earth is accomplished by your own merit and ability. Did you know that? Accomplished. Every religion. It's only accomplished by what you can do. This thing called Christianity, this thing called following Jesus is only accomplished by what he can do. And it's the only thing like it. There is only one way to do this right. There's only one way. That you find your way to the cross every single time. There's only one way. We make this more complicated than it is. But when you mess up, find your way to the cross. When you're unsure, find your way to the cross. When you feel like you're lost, find your way to the cross. It's always there. It's always available. It's always ready because Jesus is always enough. He will always cover you. He will always put his righteousness on you. He will always clothe you when you're naked. There's only one way to do it right. And that is even when you're wrong, find your way to the cross. Let's stand. There's only one way to be saved. I don't care what anybody else says. This word of God right here, this message from the Lord is very clear. There's only one way to be saved, and that is through faith in Christ Jesus alone for what he did on the cross, what he did on that day to save us from our sins, to cleanse us from all un 
righteousness. Because he has cleansed us, we can now put on his garment. His garment is not just any garment. It's a wedding garment. So that when the day comes and the food begins to roll in, brother, all of a sudden we get to go in. And we're counted among them. Because we are not concerned with our own vision of ourselves and our own appearance to others. We are concerned with who we are in Christ. And the Bible says that he is coming back for a bride that is without spot or wrinkle. He's not coming back for a racist bride. He's not coming back for a judgmental bride. He's coming back for a bride that is in love with him who's completely in love with him. I don't know about you, but I want to be in that ceremony. I want to be at that table. I want to invite you this morning to come and worship the Lord. Find your way to the cross this morning. If you're here this morning, you've been struggling, you've been fighting something, you've been battling, find your way to the cross this morning. And if some of our people who are here to pray, they will pray with you. If they are available, they can pray with you and pray over you and help you. If you need prayer this morning, come forward and find your way to the cross because it is the only thing that is available that can actually save you. us this week. Our vision is to plant churches that are life-changing. If you would like to support our ministry, you can easily do so by visiting our website, PursuitCC.com. Also, follow us on all social media outlets by using at PursuitCC. Thank you and God bless.